4: Recently, I was honored to be the guest moderator for A Night with Brian Dawkins at Rowan University. Dawkins talked to not only myself, but the student body, faculty, and selected guest. The topic of discussion was his career, his life, and his new book, Blessed by the Best, My Journey to Canton and Beyond. In our conversation, Dawkins was passionate and powerful. Here now is selected excerpts from that night with Brian Dawkins at Rowan University.
5: This is a guy I've known for a long period of time. We worked together for close to 20 years. He's been covering the Philadelphia Eagles for 25 years. He is one of the leading authorities in covering the National Football League. Tonight, he's going to be recording his podcast, so you can watch his podcast or listen to his podcast on any of the uh, different platforms where you get your podcast. It'll be dropped either t- tomorrow or Wednesday, I understand. Tomorrow, Wednesday. So you'll be able to listen to this podcast as well. We're also streaming uh, tonight's uh, event uh, live so that people can watch this uh, live as well. So I would like to now welcome my friend, Derek Gunn. This is- This is like old home week right here for me and Derek to work together. I like this, this is good. I'm emotional right now. You're emotional? Yeah. That's right, that's nice. I haven't
4: seen you in a while, man. Yeah, it's good, how you doing? Good, man, busy. Welcome to
5: Rowan University.
4: Thank you, you guys have a beautiful campus here, wow. First time I've been here, awesome campus.
5: So our guest tonight, yep. our guest of honor is Brian yes. Dawkins. Yes. And he has a new book coming out, mm-hmm. uh, actually came out, uh, right there it is, mm-hmm. Blessed by the Best, My Journey to Canton and Beyond. Yep. You'll talk about that with him tonight. Mm-hmm. But this is a gentleman that has been uh, pretty much, in my opinion, in the last 30 years in covering Philadelphia sports. Right. I would say the most popular athlete in Philadelphia in any sport, I
4: agree, Brian Dawkins, do you I agree with that? I agree with that, no question. So
5: I think it's really neat that we have him here on campus here tonight, enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2018. He played 16 seasons in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. Please welcome Brian Dawkins.
2: <laughs> All the time <laughs> what do you think about this? I love it, love it, love wow. it. This is, this, is, this is what it's supposed to be.
4: I have uh, interviewed you in many settings, uh, locker rooms on the field, in your home in yeah. Colorado, yeah. never in, a, in an auditorium before. First time for everything. I'm love telling it. you, man.
2: First time for wow. everything.
4: It has been my honor and my privilege to get to know this man uh, since I arrived here in Philadelphia in 1997. Um, not just a football player. Um, but the man. And we put athletes on this pedestal all the time, especially football players, these uh, gridiron gladiators, uh, that they're invincible. But there's a human side to all professional athletes. And in the latter stages of his career, and, and even currently in his life, Brian has really opened up about things that he has dealt with in his life that we will discuss. And we will also give you guys a chance also to ask Brian some questions. They have microphones set up over here. So at, at a certain point, I'll ask uh, students to start lining up. Also, um, there's a limited number of books that have been uh, brought here that you can purchase. And if you don't get them here, you can get the books on BrianDawkins.com, uh, And you can even buy autographed yes. versions of the book yes. on your website as well. Yes. How many autographed books do I get? Limited.
2: Unlimited oh, for you? Oh, yeah.
4: oh nah, nah, you no, know underlim- not unlimited, limited for him. Limited. I'm like what? Limited, bro. <laughs> but you know, let's let's talk about, let's go way back first. And high school football player, accomplished college player, professional athlete, to the doors of Canton, Ohio. Was this your goal when you were a teenager? No. No?
2: no. Did you even think about playing professional football? Professional something, yes. <laughs> Okay. So originally, I loved basketball. I, matter of fact, Dr. J was my guy back in the day. So I thought I was going to be the next you know, Dr. J, right? Yeah. And, so, yeah. and so to be honest with you, football was, I could not watch football on TV. Like it literally wow. was like golf is for some people. I can watch golf, but like some people can't watch golf. I could not watch football. Love basketball. So I knew I wanted to be a professional something. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I thought it was going to be basketball, mm-hmm. but a professional something. But along the way, I, uh, my left hand stopped developing. I stopped growing. So like, that was the end of that. And then the, here's, here's the blessed thing about it, and this is in the book as well. Sure, I was blessed to see someone in my family go to college. That was my brother, Ralph Dawkins mm. uh, the third. So Ralph went to Louisville, Kentucky. Right now, he still holds some of the all-purpose yards for running backs in Louisville. So out of my mind, through my eye, excuse me, I saw someone in my household do something with a skill set of football Mm -hmm. and go to college. So guess what happened in my mind? Wow, it is possible. It is Mm -hmm. possible for me to do that. So that literally has been the way that I approached everything. I haven't necessarily looked too far ahead. I've been like, where, where I am right now, I'm gonna be the best on the field to beat this person out at my position, and I'm gonna keep my head down and continue to grind until that comes to fruition.
4: And it turned out incredibly well for you,
2: did it? In so many ways. Oh my goodness. And, and, I say, and I also say this, man, and you've heard me say this before. Sure. At this point where I am right now, like I'm literally living someone else's dream because I didn't dream this big. Mm. I did not, this is my Hall of Fame ring. This is three, ring 313. Right? This is my Hall of Fame ring. So this is the only one like it. It's only 300 and I think maybe 70 guys that mm-hmm. have been introduced into the Hall of Fame. It's I think only like 100 or something so living. So I didn't dream this big. This is not something that I said that I was going to be mm-hmm. growing up, right? So like doing certain things a specific way, doing the right things, the right way on a consistent basis not all the time but the majority of the time gives you a chance to do things that you would have never dreamed before mm-hmm. always remember that
4: mm. so you arrive here by way of jacksonville your hometown through clemson to here small towns so you arrive at a city like philadelphia and what's your initial impression of one of the top 5 cities in america
2: first of all it was like the first thing I thought about was not the fans. Okay. I thought about the cold. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. Yep. I- So I'm thinking about snow, I had never really seen snow before. Snow shovel, what the heck is a snow shovel? Is it the same as a regular shovel? No, it is not, right? How do you get get ice off a windshield? Hey, just pour hot water on it. Well, no, you don't pour hot (laughs) water. So it's certain things I had to learn the hard way. So that was literally my introduction in thinking about, man, how am I gonna be, how am I gonna survive in this doggone cold weather, right? So that was the introduction. But coming from the airport, to the facility, we had a, um, a cab driver. He told us, he told me two things. <laughs> he said, we hate Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> and then he said, don't listen to WIP. He said, if you, do, <laughs> if, you, if you understand those two things, you'll be good. I said, all right,
4: gotcha, gotcha. One of my favorite stories about Brian is he was a second-round draft pick, and if you follow football closely, you know that second-round draft picks in the National Football League would automatically make a team. But Brian, Brian was in fear most of his rookie season because he, he thought there was a good possibility of getting cut, and so who finally calmed your nerves to let you know that, hey, as long as you do
2: what we drafted you to do, you're okay. That didn't happen like into my second year, like into my second year, oh, like, my even goodness. into like the third. Like in my mind, I, at any given time, I could be one of them dudes to walk around and see a note in the locker just saying, "Bring me your playbook." Okay. And I was just, I was definitely afraid of that. Literally, seriously. <laughs> the any, Anytime, yeah. Anytime yeah. the um, the Grim Reaper, it was cut. It was cut time. Yeah. I was so nervous, and so again, me not again, I did not look at football. Didn't know anything about football. I didn't know if you drafted in the second round they're going to give you some chances. In my mind, you can get cut at any given time if you don't do the right thing, if you don't give all you got, if you don't beat the person out. So I always had that. um, Actually, it was an unhealthy fear at that time of getting cut. Always had that.
4: You started almost immediately, though. Were you kind of shocked that you started so early in your career? Did you think you would have more time just to get acclimated to the NFL and have a big brother
2: kind of mentor you more so? Uh, and, and, and like a lot of players have. No, see, one of the things about me is I wanted to play right away, okay. as quick as possible. One of the fra- one of the things that happened to me at Clemson is I hurt my knee, and I remember going. This is in the book. I remember going to one of my teammates crying. He was like, "What's wrong with you?" I said, "Man, they gonna red shirt. Me. Man, they go red shirt, me, man." So in my mind, you can't. If you on the team, you play. There is no red shirt. There is no waiting to the next year. Okay. If you can't play right away then you can't play. That was my mindset, right. I, was, I was naive in that way. Okay. And so coming to Philadelphia, I'm supposed to play right away. That was my mindset. So I look at the guys that I'm going up against in practice every day, there's mm-hmm. no way they're supposed to be in front of me. So if I do what I'm supposed to do, right. I'm supposed to be starting, right? But it's not, it wasn't the physical thing that was slowing me down. <laughs> it was the <laughs> mental. It was the mental game that was slowing me down.
4: As I got to watch you in practices and uh, in games, one thing that really jumped out to me about you is how hard you hit. Why do you hit people so hard? I would see people's souls leave their bodies. You would hit people so
2: hard, man. Because that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> that's what you Seriously, growing up where I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, we would do this tackling drill that is illegal now. Like, it's literally illegal now. <laughs> <laughs> you would line up with your arms out like this, and you would have your teammate five to sometimes ten yards, yeah, and yep. they get a chance to run at you full speed and hit you, and you can't flinch. You got to stand there to, and learn. So that, that was the introduction in my neighborhood to contact. And then for me playing center for two years, uh, which I hated in, in that moment, I absolutely hated it, despised it.
4: Wait, 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 you played center? Played center.
2: Played center. Two years. Really, two years played center. Center, center. You, Brian yes. Dawkins. Brian Dawkins. Center. One of, one of the smallest dudes on the field, too. I guess. Center.
4: Whew, man, center. you must have
2: been one of the angriest, meanest Sinners known to mankind. Absolutely, yeah, because he had me at center. I was definitely <laughs> angry. With you put me at center. So, but see, here's the thing: playing center, what it blessed me with, and again, this is a mindset thing. This is a uh, uh, reframing thing, as as we talk about it in today's terms. I look back over that now and I recognize how that playing center really got me to love contact even more. And it it, it helped me because I wasn't one of the biggest guys. It helped me learn how to use leverage properly to get my feet. And how I coach it now is your feet put you in position to be physical. So if you're moving your feet, if you're running with your feet, then you can put yourself in position to deliver those big hits. Mm And so for me also, when you talk about, um, you know, that soul leaving the body type of experience, yes. If I'm not putting, inflicting pain on you, I'm not doing my job. That was my mindset. So every time that you come across anybody with my number on and it it just so happened to be me, you need to think pain. So if you're thinking pain, that means you might not be running as hard as you can because you're expecting me to do something. So even before I come against you, I've already won that battle. So it's a mind thing as well.
4: Isn't it interesting how calm and reserved he is here, but you put a helmet on him, it's like a completely different person. It is. Were you like that at home too? When you raised your kids, did you always give them the Brian Dawkins speech, the the, the pump-up enthusiastic speech? I I have to let
2: my kids explain that to you. Here we go, Uh, here we go. It's... I try... (laughs) (laughs) I try not to be too aggressive when it comes to competition, because I, right. I love to compete. Right, right. I love to compete. My twin is playing soccer. They were like six or seven years old. And I'm looking at them. And um, at home, they're pushing one another around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they're letting these other kids just take the ball from them. And I'm, I'm on the sideline about to lose it. Like, and Connie's like, <laughs> and my wife is like, they're just they're just babies. I'm like, no, well, look at, look at what's going on, you see? And so after the, after the game, the coach got them together. Did you have a good time? Yay! Now, mind you, they turned the clock off because they was getting beat so bad, right? This is soccer, right? They turned the didn't. They stopped, they stopped counting scores. So I'm like, and it, we're going to go get pizza. I'm like, yay! And so guess what we went after we left the park? We went home. I said, y'all, y'all not going to get no pizza. Pizza after you do you do you not know you we actually lost that game we, we lost and so my, my, I was trying to explain to them yes you want to have a good time right right but you have a good a better time doing what winning, winning. Right. yes right. yes right. so I told them that you you look at the things you did wrong in this game so I asked them what a, what a couple of things that you can do now again mm-hmm. they're very young so I, right. I let them tell them what they thought right and right. I said so the next game that we've I come to, what will you be better at? Those things. So now I've given them something to shoot for, to be better at. And so when I wasn't there the next weekend, they went to play the game and they lost again. And so um, my, my wife told me that the youngest twin told her to put we are the champions on the uh, <laughs> on the radio. And she she said she was in the back crying, we are the champions, (laughs) my friend. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. Because what you wanna do is you wanna learn how to control that. I said, you don't need to cry like that, but just learn how to control that. And so we've helped them and I've helped them in that way to learn how to control your emotions and not let your emotions control you.
4: So in layman's turn, you scared your children into succeeding. Is that what you're telling us? Great parenting, right? I wish I had done that. (laughs) Hey, I want to get back to you uh, hard hitting for a moment. Yeah. Because Jeremiah Trotter told me one time, he said, Brian Dawkins, we've watched this man knock people out in games. We've watched him knock people out in practice. And he's even knocked himself out in practice. Is that true? Yes.
2: You've knocked yourself out in practice hitting people that hard. Well, not in practice. If I'm hitting people in practice that hard, then I'm not a good teammate. I'm just telling not you what Trotter hard, told now. me. Not that I I do like, not in practice. No. Okay. In practice, like those are my teammates when it's all said and done. I'm right. gonna compete against you, but it's not gonna be full tilt. Okay. In the game, that's different. Like, like yes, mm. in the game is different. But, but to that point, so my, my, my mindset was always this, and for some, for, for some who've never really watched me play, and you just listen to me talk. You probably think I was an absolute maniac. And, and it was a controlled maniac, though. I was controlled, but I had some maniac tendencies on the football field mm-hmm. when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. So my mindset was this. I always said it like this. I wanted to put crazy on film. I wanted to put crazy on film. Now, crazy is not a derogatory term. I'm saying what I wanted to do is put something on film that you look at and say, man, did you just see what he did to him? So once again, in your mind, if, I, if you see me do somebody like that at your position in the game before, what is possibly creeping into your heart? Just a little bit. A little bit of fear. Just a little bit. Now, if you're fearing going against me, once again, you can go back to the teams of old. You go right. back to the Chicago, Chicago Bulls back in the day when they was winning all the championships, the mm-hmm. Lakers and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Some of the teams, even before they played them, had already lost the game mm-hmm. because they had a little bit of fear in their heart and whether they can do it. So in my mind, when I, took, when I take the field and you see number 20, I, want, I, literally, I literally want you to say, that dude crazy. <laughs> that dude crazy.
4: So as you built your reputation, you took pride in the fact that opponents always wanted to know where number 20 was. I think a lot of people
2: don't realize football is a psychological warfare as much as it is a physical warfare, isn't it? In so many ways, in so many terms. There's so many and people think we just go out and run and hit people. There's so many other there's so other so many other excuse me, nuances to how you go make a tackle, how you go make a play, how you anticipate. Matter of fact, I had already played the game at least one time in my mind before the game, just in visual, just in practicing. Just me sitting in a dark room, watching film, looking at them play, and looking at myself, imagining myself making that play, imagining myself making that hit, making that interception. In that situation, I'm going to do that. And when the game comes, some of those things come to fruition because I've already seen a lot of these things happen. So it's such a psychological uh, battle because a lot of the things that on the field that you have to do, you can't do by thinking. If you think long, you, you're thinking you're wrong. At any, and, and that's not just in, in, in sports. Mm-hmm. That's literally like a life thing. If you're thinking too long on something that you have to then be robotic, yeah. then a lot of times you're wrong. For me, I needed to be able to flow. And so that's where that confidence comes in. That's where that belief comes in. That's where, come, that's where going into the game with, without a care in the world besides mm-hmm. whooping up my opponent, comes in, not worrying about nothing. I didn't have any fear in my heart, any concern about me not being able to make a play. I had none of that. I I've canceled all that out in, in, in the week of preparation with my practice, yes, but also in prayer. So when I touched that field, there's nothing, listen, there's nothing that I didn't think that I can do. Did I win every battle? Absolutely not. Hmm. Have I gotten ran over before? Yep. But that wasn't a consistent thing. And if you ran me over that first time, you better come just as hard that second time. Because I'm coming harder. I'm coming harder. Two questions in one. Who's the hardest opponent you ever hit and who hit you the hardest? The hardest, the most violent hit I've ever had was against Michael Vick. Michael Vick? That was the most violent hit I've ever had. Does he like you today? Um, yeah, we, I mean we're cool, we're cool. Okay, all right, <laughs> all right just checking. So, with that yeah. hit, I was running from the back of the end zone, back yeah. of the end zone. He yeah. was running from the 30 yard line. He didn't see me to the last second. So, basically, we ran in, into one another running full speed. And that was one of the ones I knocked myself out. I did <sighs> knock myself out on that one. Wow. Yeah.
4: And who hit you the hardest
2: in your career? Um, it was uh, probably uh, uh, Sellers. Okay. Rat Sellers for uh, uh, tight um he was a special teams guy, fullback for Washington. Okay. 45 back in the day. That was dude, that was one dude that, that he he didn't just run me over once. Like he's run me over like three times before. <laughs> like he's the only dude that I can say that about. Yeah. He he literally had my number. He literally had my number.
4: So we know Brian Dawkins, athlete, Brian Dawkins, passionate man about his craft. But as I got to know you, I also got to know that there was an emotional side yeah. to Brian Dawkins. And here's the first time it surfaced. This was in the latter stages of your career in Philadelphia, and you guys were still training up at Lehigh. Mm-hmm. And you thought, th- at that point, you thought you were, it was going to be your last year with the Philadelphia Eagles. So you agreed to sit down and do an interview with me in one of the halls up there on campus, and midway through uh, the interview, you broke down and started crying. And so my producers and I are looking at each other like, should we stop the tape? And he's like, no, keep it going. You know, this is great stuff. So we get through the interview. And I, I, when you left to go back to practice, I'm texting your wife Connie. I just had this great interview with their husband. He was so emotional and passionate. He broke down and started crying. She goes, "That's just B. He cries over everything." <laughs> and I'm saying th- that just burst my bubble. And I'm thinking <laughs> I had this great
2: emotional element. But have you always been an emotional guy? Absolutely. Yeah. Even when I was younger, I was one of the. I was the kid that if we lose a game, I don't want to shake nobody's hand. Yeah. Like, if I strike out, I'm crying. Like, I'm mad. I'm, I'm ticked off. Like, I, that was, that's always been me. I've always been that type of competitor. Because once again, and I, you guys haven't heard this, when I was growing up, I was always one of the smallest guys in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I always felt I had to outwork everybody, and I had to do more than people around me because of my size. Yeah. It wasn't because of my heart, it was because of my size. And I say this to this day, that you can't, measure, you can't measure my heart. And that was one of the things that people lacked Mm-hmm. Uh, of, of understanding about me, Like, yeah. right? And so some of that stuff began to, I had anger issues for a while. So some of those emotions I couldn't control, mm-hmm. and I, it took some time and some counseling from other people, people that I know, some coaches, to help me sure. control that, control yeah. my emotions, control that energy, It it took, some, it took a yeah. while to do that though.
4: You know, so while we're on the uh, subject of emotions, um, you know, early in your career, you went through some deep stuff, man. Yeah. Um, you went through alcoholism, uh, you went through depression, and uh, I don't think it's a secret that you also had suicidal tendencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to let you explain how you dealt with that back then and how you've overcome it to this day because you you and I have discussed this recently, there are still demons that you battle even today.
5: Yeah.
2: so. Coming from Jacksonville, Florida, not a lot—not uh, a lot expected of me. I wasn't uh, supposed to be where I was. Coming from a hot weather, hot climate, excuse me, coming to a cold climate, having a uh, being a new uh, a, a new husband, having a new baby. Brian was colicky, crying all the time. We weren't getting a lot of sleep. And then I was not someone that talked. Coming from my neighborhood, being an African American, coming from where I came from in Jacksonville, you mm-hmm. rub dirt on your pain. You don't. You, a man never lets anybody sees them sweat. Like you rub dirt on it, suck it up, deal with it. Certain aspects of life you can deal with that way. On the playground sometimes you fall, you get skint up on a play, you know. But internal pain, no. You can't deal with everything like that. So I was talking to no one about anything that was going on in my life. Mm-hmm. And that pressure just mounted and built and built. And some of that became anger issues. Like I mentioned, I had anger issues for a while. And so, me being pulled by my family back in Jacksonville with some of the things they, they was needing, wanting some stuff. My new family here, we're not settled, we're trying to get settled, I'm, I'm a new husband, excuse me, a uh, second round draft pick, a lot is expected me from, the, from my job, so that's pulling. So, so I'm being pulled, and again, I have absolutely no outlet that I've chosen. I've chosen not to have no outlet to talk to nobody about none of that, so that dark, place I went down into, the only thing that I had at that moment for me to be able to numb that stuff to me was alcohol and, and so that, I knew that that wasn't going to be something that I wanted to continue to do and then there was a specific part that happened with a small argument bef- between me and Connie and then, you know, I, I literally ran my head through like a wall. And in that moment, I, had, I knew I had to do something d- different because what I was doing was not working. So and Connie called my uh, uncle, uncle Emmett, who was Emmett Thomas. And Emmett, basically, when, he, when I got to the office, he called me into the office and uh, called Connie to come up there. And so both, both of them basically took my hand and said, no, you're going to get help. And that's what I did. Yeah. I finally went and got some help to have someone to talk to about the things that were basically imploding inside of me. And that was, re- that was literally what happened to me. I was imploding from the inside. But when I got that stuff out, I took medication for a little while. What it did is it brought me down off my emotions. And when it brought me down off my emotions, I began to hear from a vertical relationship level, spiritual level, some of the things I needed to start doing and some of the stuff I needed to stop doing. Yeah. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And so that, going into my second year, is where this kind of happened. All of these things kind of happened. And then the uptick in the peace in my life began to happen. The joy in my life, I began to do specific things now. I call it, if you go on BrianDawkins.com, it's something on there called the Blueprint Challenge. The Blueprint Challenge is what I came up with when I went through that, and then when I came on the other side of it, I needed something that I can do to not just win at that moment, that I can, as I call it, stay winning. So every morning that I get up in the morning, the first thing that I do is I'm I'm very thankful for this day. So I say different things at different times, but I'm thankful. Thank thank you for this opportunity. This is a day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Or I'll just say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Son. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Like I'll say something of gratitude the first thing that I get up, and then I pray, I read, I meditate, and I journal every morning. Mm And in my meditation, there's breathing. So I've learned different breathing exercises that fit me. There's a whole bunch of them out there. You can research them. But I found the ones that fit me. So I'll, I'll breathe for a little while, maybe about five minutes. Do some breathing exercises. Breathe in. Peace. Hold it for a second. Exhale longer than i inhale. And then I'm breathing out anxiety. And then when I'm doing that, on, my, on the TV, I have... Uh, There's on YouTube, but you can do it on your phone too. On YouTube, there's, there's natural scenes of beaches with the waves and the waves crashing and the whole scenery. So I have that on the TV so I can hear the. So now I'm getting myself into a space that I can get into a deep prayer. And then when I'm praying, I don't just talk. I shut up and start listening. And I just listen for a little while. And then I pray, excuse me, then I journal, then I meditate. I, excuse me, I journal, and then I move on with the day. And so the reason why I go into the details with this is because this is something that I do every single day. So if you take nothing from this meeting, then other than, other than, other than you think I'm crazy, but this is literally what I do every day. I woke up this morning, I did it. I did it yesterday. I'm going to do it tomorrow morning. Every day to stay winning. Now, you talk about that dark space. The dark space is this. Anytime that you fall, because I've gone through what I've gone through, anytime that I fall too far, I allow my emotions to take over too much. There's always a voice saying, yep, come on down. Just a little bit further. Just a little bit further. Come on. Come on. Yep. Yep, you're right. You're you're nothing. You're horrible. You're, You're a horrible person. That's that stinking thinking, I call it. So that stinking thinking is in all of us. We, always, we all have those conversations with ourselves. Now, the thing that I will say, and I'll move on, mm-hmm. is my self-talk game now, though, is so powerful. Hmm. It's so on point. Because in the moment that that negative stinking thinking begins to talk, then the other part of me begins, begins to tell that stinking thinking to shut up and get in line. Shut up. Nope, that's not where we're going. Nope, Doc. you're actually a good dude. You are absolutely blessed by the best. Hmm. You have so much to be thankful for. Look at your children. Look at your wife. Look at the life that you, look at the lives that you blessed by coming out telling your story. No, you're not a loser. No. So that negative is now cast out mm-hmm. by me talking about those things that I'm thankful for. That's the power of gratitude. And it's not just the power of gratitude. It's me allowing myself to feel what that feels like to be grateful. The emotions of the gratitude. So I go into that space. When I think about my wife, I think about, oh, man, we've, I've been with her since we've been 15 years old, and we've been through so much together, and she's still there with me, mm-hmm. smiling in the morning when I wake up to mm-hmm. see her. You f- I feel that. So we have three beautiful, four beautiful children, excuse me, together, right? Mm-hmm. I almost messed up on that one. Four beautiful <laughs> children. Four beautiful children. Mm-hmm. And so, Again, that's the space that I allow myself to get into. And what I'm telling you is this, these are purposeful things that I do in my life on a daily basis. Attitude of gratitude, I call it my gratitude box. I carry that box mental, mentally with me around everywhere. So anytime that I have anything that's going on, I'll take a power of the pause to take a deep breath, and then I think of those things that I'm grateful for, the people that I'm grateful for, the situations, the circumstances in my life, that people would love to have, that I have. Go ahead. Amen. Mm. 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 Mm.
4: Mm. You you see the wording on his shirt, Blessed by the Best, which is the name of his book, Blessed by the Best, My Journey to Canton and Beyond. I'm still coming to grips with Brian Dawkins'
2: author. I'm still trying to to grasp this. What inspired you to write a book? Man, It's prayer. Because there's no way in the world you'd have told me when I was 13, 14, 15, sure. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 that I was going to write a book. Right. There's no way in the world. Matter of fact, I literally, I was more of a comic, comic book guy, a graphic novel guy. Like, that's, mm-hmm. those are my books that I read when I was younger, right? So there's no way in the world I'm going to be someone that's going to write a book. But mm-hmm. one of the things that I've recognized in my life is this, is that... The things that we grow through in life, not go through, the things that we grow through in our lives, when you come up with an answer for yourself and you're blessed because of that answer and that's an empowering answer that you now carry with you as you go about your life going forward, it's not yours. It's not just for you. If you're holding on to it, you're being selfish because there's somebody else that's going through similar things that you're going through that can use that wisdom that you have but you're selfish because you're not sharing it, right? That's how I felt about this book. So when I got on, the, when I got up to said my Hall of Fame speech, and I heard so many people talking, to, talking to me about my life, and you know, you're a Hall of Famer, you have so many things that have gone right in your life, you just uh, uh, college um, accolades and all that right, stuff. Right. Do y'all, do anybody in here know how I got to Clemson? All right, so how I got to Clemson is this. So, and this is another uh, reason I talked about some of the other things that I've gone through in my life in the book. How I got to Clemson is this. I have a good friend by the name of Patrick Sapp. Met him in junior high, seventh grade. So Patrick was the guy in Jacksonville when it comes to football and basketball. Clemson wanted Patrick Sapp. I'm gonna make this real short. Patrick called Clemson and said, if you want me to come there, Doc has to come with me. That's how I got to Clemson. Hmm. So I was a throw-in player, <laughs> right? So this is everybody's first time hearing this. But in your mind, I was the man at Clemson. Nope. <laughs> I was the last scholarship given at Clemson because my friend told him if I come to Clemson, Clemson, he's coming there. Right, so when I then go up in front of the, the world and tell about the things that I've grown through in my life when it comes to a, come through, comes to a, a mental health perspective. I'm getting real excited here. Um, Don't hit me. Uh, <laughs> Whatever you do, stay there. <laughs> but that's why, that's why I was blessed. That's why I was led to share my story because so many people had so many misconceptions of the life of a professional pl- person professional football player. That they've gone through nothing in their lives, and that's far from the case. There's so many things that I've grown through, so many things, lessons that I've learned. A lot of them are in the book, not all of them, but a lot of them are in the book, of how I learned them, where I learned them from, and sometimes those sources that I learned this stuff from was absolutely painful at the time. That's why I say that the majority of success that I've had in my life has come on the back end of pain.
4: So the book was basically written, and you know, when a lot of people write books, they have a writer write the book for them, and they just translate it to them. So your book is written, you look at the book, and you basically
2: do a rewrite in the book? Yeah. Why? Yes, because I wanted it to sound like me and you talking. Okay. Like we're having a conversation, yeah. I'm going to throw, I'm going to say at least... Four jacks. Okay. I'm gonna throw a couple of cats in there, right? Yeah, yeah. So and you know that, because right, that's right, my verbiage, right? right? And I wanted the book to sound so in the book there's a bunch of cats. I'm gonna call you a cat, a couple of jacks. So that's how I talk. It's, it's more of a. For those who don't know that, that's more of a 70s vernacular. Like that's that's how 70s cats talk back in the day. So but it's kind I, of like Dr. Seuss, cat in a
0: hat. No, not the... that, not oh, that. I'm sorry. Not okay. that, not <clears throat> that, not throat> that, throat>
2: right. that 70s. Okay. But, but I really wanted that yeah. when you sit down and read this book, mm-hmm. that is literally me sitting down with you and me telling you mm-hmm. from my vantage point the things, the circumstances that have blessed me mm-hmm. and how I've reframed them, how mm-hmm. I see them differently now where I sit. We, we know how you feel about getting to Canton. It's been well documented.
4: But uh, uh, the title of the book, not just Canton, but Beyond. What did you mean by beyond?
2: Beyond? So football is not who I was, is what I did, mm-hmm. right? Football is not who I was, it's what I did. Because if football was who I was, when I retired, my life is over with, right? So I might as well just whatever, right? No, this just, that was just the beginning of my life, of what the Lord has for me to do. There's things on this side of what I'm doing right now. I'm going to be doing things on a different level and speaking into people's lives. Mm-hmm. I was reading, and you know, one of the um, root words or the, the, the basis of, and I'm, I'm at an institution, so I hope I'm right on this. Um, for inspire is literally the word inspire is literally to breathe into. To breathe into. So when I begin to speak from a motivational standpoint. I want it not to be motivation, though. I want it to be inspiration. I want to breathe life into the thing that you have going on in your life that you can't see yet. See, there were people in my life, coaches that I had, that saw something in me that I couldn't see yet. They saw something in me that I couldn't see. But what I had to do is I had to believe in the thing that they saw in me, Mm -hmm. and I went after the thing that they saw in me that I couldn't see yet until I can grab it for myself, and it became my vision of it. This is what Emmett did to me. This is what he did for me greatly. And when he left, he then woke up a dude that Jim Johnson can use all over the football field because I was so doggone confident in what I can do because of what Emmett saw in me that I couldn't see yet, right? So that's the power of this. That's the power of me being able to then use what I know now to speak into people's lives. And it's not just a football thing. Mm -hmm. It's not just a football thing. This is a life thing. This is a life skills that you plug in the things that I've done in my life into someone else's life, and they will have a semblance semblance of success. It won't be this Hall of Fame, but it may be a different type of Hall of Fame uniquely to them. I could ask Dawkins a
4: hundred questions more, and I have them throughout my career, but I want to save some time for some of the students to have some questions, so um, if you guys want, there's mics over there. Those of you who might have questions for Brian Dawkins, uh, we would like to start with the uh, sports cam students first. If you could line up behind the mics there and there, um, and I will call on you uh, so that you can ask Dawkins a question. And while you guys are getting in the place, don't be shy. This is it. All right. So for one time, while everybody's getting in this place, do me a favor. Everybody, stand
2: up real quick. Everybody up. Real quick. Just, jump get up. Up just, up just get up a little bit. No, just get up a little bit. Just bounce a little bit. We've been sitting. We've been sitting for a while. And I and if you're anything like me, if I sit too long, even if it's good information, these things gonna get a little heavy. My <laughs> legs will get a little heavy. So just a sec, shake it out just a little bit, so that we can get these questions in. And then uh, yes, here we go. You ready? Yes. I have one more
4: question before we get to uh, open it up to the students. Um, When you wrote this book, you read the book, you did a rewrite of the book. Give me one aspect of the book that was difficult for you to sit and read about yourself.
2: None of it. Mm. See, I look at this book and I see triumph. After okay. the triumph, after okay. the triumph, after the triumph, after the triumph. That's what I see in this book. And it's such a blessing for me to see it in those terms. So once mm-hmm. again, it's that, it's that perspective thing. It's how you see the thing It's how the thing is to you. Mm-hmm. That's how this book is for me. So when I look back at it, and I look at some of the things and the people that in that moment right. forced me to play center for two years,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I look back and I look at myself now of how that blessed me so much. I smile. Matter of fact, I was blessed to go back to Raines High School where I went in Jacksonville, Florida. And they had a little parade, usually they have for Raines and Reebok, that's our rival school. So they usually have a little parade and they put me on the car. We were riding down and waving at people. It was really nobody out because it was cold out. Um, but raving at people. And guess who was driving the car that I was sitting on. Just guess. That same coach that put me at center. <laughs> it was the same exact, from Pop One, it was the same, it was Coach Grave. He was the same coach. And so guess what I did when I was in the car? I said, Coach, I wanna thank you for letting me play center for those two years, man. That blessed me in so many ways. And he was smiling from ear to ear, right? But it was, it was such a blessing. So it's that perspective thing. So that's another word. Make sh- Grab this, hold on to it for you. Mm-hmm. Perspective, how you see the thing mm-hmm. in your life is how that thing is in your life. Mm-hmm. How you see it. All right, we're gonna open it up to the student body. Uh, to start over here with this gentleman here. How's it going, Mr. Dawkins, sir? Um, so I wanted to quickly ask, I wanted to go back to um, you talking about your story about getting into Clemson and everything with your friend and talking about how you got to see your brother go play
1: at Louisville and everything, you got to see someone go off to college. What was that moment like for you when you got to realize that you were gonna get that opportunity? What was like, how did that feel for you? Like what was going through your head when you got to realize you were gonna have that opportunity
2: yourself? So I didn't give you the whole story because we don't have enough time for me to get into the whole story. I, li- I wanted to go to Florida. I wanted to be a Gator. I had my chomp down and everything. But my GPA was a whopping like 1.6. And so what happened was is the Gators, because I was I was known enough in, in, in the Florida region. Gainesville is like 45, 45 minutes away from my house, right? So they they offered me a scholarship, but I wasn't a good, good enough athlete, excuse me, for them to keep it. So they came to Reigns, set me down in the office, and said, We're gonna have to take the scholarship back. So that's why I didn't have a scholarship, because I wasn't highly recruited. Florida took the scholarship back, so I called Pat. It's like, yeah, well, I'm trying to go somewhere else, but you know, I don't know what's going on. So that's when he called Clemson, right? So that's how that happened. Now, when I went to Clemson, because Clemson didn't necessarily, I won't say it like, yeah, I'm going to say it. They didn't necessarily want me. I'm going to say it. I felt that they didn't want me, right? So it wasn't a pleasant. My first year was horrible at Clemson. I literally, I literally wanted to go back home. I did not want to be there. But my dad taught me something, that when you start something, you finish it. And not only only do you finish it, you give everything that you got to the last drop. And you stay coachable the whole time. This is what he taught me growing up. So I took that same formula, and I applied it to Clemson when I got there. And also listened to a whole bunch of Bob Marley. But that's another story. So seriously, but this, these are the, some of the things that, 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 that have blessed me to see things differently. But literally, when I got to Clemson Lyrics, I did not want to be there, first of all. I did not feel that I was wanted there. But it does not matter what somebody, it does not matter how you get into a place, it's what you do with that doggone opportunity. And I knew I, I knew I was going to do whatever it took for me to have success. Didn't know what success was going to be Hall of Fame, but you weren't going to stop me from having some semblance of success when I went to Clemson. Hey, Doc, we're going to go back and forth, so I'm going to go over here yep. next.
4: So, And do me a favor, don't walk behind me, you're making me nervous. <laughs> All
1: right, uh, over here. Hi there, Mr. Dawkins. Uh, my name is Jason Joseph. How I are you doing, to, Jason? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, sir?
2: Absolutely blessed, brother.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, um, when, when it came to draft night, What was the emotion that was going through your mind and even for your family's mind, like, before you got drafted
2: and right after you got drafted? So before I got drafted, it was, oh, man, we're going the first round of Kansas City. Kansas City Chiefs, 26, I think, 24th pick, 24th. And then that pick came and went. And then other picks came and went. And so at that moment, like, I was was mad. Because in my mind, if I was 6'1, 6'2, 215, I would have gone in the first round. But because I was 5'11, 5'10, 5'11, 185 pounds at the time, because I was real small, they kept telling me I was gonna do something else. So as happy as a day as that was, because it was, in my mind, I was the, I was the last pick in the second round, how it played out. But in my mind, I was the first pick in the third round. And I was pissed off about that. Seriously. So when I came to Philadelphia, matter of fact, I didn't, which I should have done, I regret it. Now, I didn't walk at Clemson. I graduated, but I didn't walk because I was so livid. I wanted to get to Philly as quickly as possible so that I could start working out, so that I can prove everybody wrong for who passed on me. That's how I used that as motivation. So you can kind of hear it in my voice and skill, breaking up a little bit about that. But literally, that's how I felt on I was happy, don't get me wrong. But in the back of my mind, I was living that some people continue to pass on because of my size. And I'm going to prove them wrong. Mm. I'm going to prove them wrong.
4: Yeah. All right, Doc, we're going to go back over here. Yes, sir.
1: Uh, As a member of the Philadelphia Eagles, you were beloved by the city. You were a credible player on the field, but off the field you did more. How did you become to stay as humble as you did as a superstar in Philadelphia?
2: That's my vertical relationship. That's my vertical relationship. It's my Heavenly Father. That's, I believe that humility is power under control, is what it is. Because the God that I serve, that's what he was, the absolute most powerful cat that ever walked the face of the Earth, but is absolute the most humble, right? So to me, that's, that's why. That's why I walk the way that I walk. And I was blessed to have people in my household, especially St. Dawkins, who is my grandma. Um, she is 103, 104 now, excuse me right so yeah so, so i had so i had people in my household extended my grandma but also my father he was very he, he would give he still does to this day he gives to a fault sometimes so i saw it played out before me that i'm supposed to give you're supposed to give not because you have to but because you want to right and so that's, that played a big part in the, the man that I am today, is having those people in my life.
4: Mm. All right, dog back over here. Yep. And he's still walking behind me. <laughs> <laughs> my, bad, my, bad. my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. Thank you. I know, I know, you, you, know you have a lot of reasons to hit me through does. the years,
5: but
1: <clears throat> not in front of witnesses. All right, I'm sorry, over
4: here.
2: No worries. How are you doing, Mr. Dawkins? One. I was wondering who was your biggest mentor when you arrived to camp in your rookie season? Who helped you give you like, Set Man. expectations. I, 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 had, I was blessed to have a couple of them. Um, I was blessed when I got here to have a bunch of dudes that were doing things the right way. Uh, Troy Vincent, uh, William Thomas, um, Irvin Fryer, um, uh, Mark Woodard, you guys probably wanna know who Mark is, he's line bracket, but like those guys were a blessing to me in so many ways. Because they helped me see, especially Troy. I call him out. He's still my br- big brother to this day. So what I saw from Troy is professionalism. Young guy, I saw someone that was modeling something that was possible where I stand. That you can handle yourself a specific way, one way, on the field, and then off the field, another. Now, someone that I didn't get mentored by, but, but bless, he blessed me with his life, is Reggie White. Listen. <laughs> yes, So Reggie, Reggie did this, Reggie did this. Reggie showed me that you can absolutely you can be an absolute beast on the field, just dominating folk. Like, and, and not smile about it, neither. Just right? But you absolutely can bless people off the field. That there's a switch that can be flipped, that you can do it in such a way. And I've also seen and I saw this, Reggie, do it, and I've done it in my life. I took that. From watching him I've seen him hit someone then be hurt and him pray over them so I, I did the same exact thing like if I hit you real hard and you stayed down for a little while I would literally flip the switch and go back to understanding that when it's all said and done that that's we're all we're all brothers and sisters when it comes to that so I need to pray over my, my brother who's down right now so that I would flip the switch in that to pray over that person in that moment, so Reggie blessed me tremendously. But those other individuals, each one of them, blessed me in different ways. To help me, this young cat who was going through all these traumatic things internally, I was able to see some gentlemen, some, some men, living differently, right? I had that in my household with my father, but now I'm seeing this also in my surroundings in the locker room, right? And that was an absolute blessing. Great question, too, brother. Mm. Back over here, yes.
3: Hi Brian, how are you?
2: Bless.
1: Awesome. Glad to hear that. It's a it's truly an honor and privilege to be talking in front of you, especially uh, one of my favorite eagles of all time, perhaps the city's favorite eagle of all time. If Rocky Balboa has a
2: statue, you need one right next to him. <laughs> I'm you. I'm dead serious. Peace <laughs> <down. Peace laughs> down. Down. Brian, so you're a nine time pro bowler, five time first time all pro player, can't hall of famer, perhaps one of the best centers of all time. Good. Your biggest accomplishment, in my opinion, is your, your struggle with depression and how you overcame it. And I just wanted to ask you, do you have
1: any advice or possibly words of wisdom for student athletes who want to elevate their game and perhaps go to the next level, um, you know, from a perspective of someone who has struggled and overcame this issue and still yeah. battles it to this day?
2: Hey Amen. So, again, go to, listen, and I'm not doing this to throw you, like, the, to just throw the question off. Go to Dawkins.com and look at the blueprint challenge. I'm telling you, it's literally what I created for myself in order for me to stay winning in life, period. Life after football. So I developed that during football, but now I'm using the same principles in my life where I, where I stand today, every morning when I get up and throughout the day. So in that, in that same blueprint, what I, which I didn't say, is back in the day I would put on my phone a different ring. And that ring would tell me to give thanks, so wherever I find myself once the, once the ring went off on my phone, in that moment I'm supposed to give thanks. so that's gratitude. so whatever my my emotions are in that moment, it takes me to a place of gratitude in that moment. Now I don't need to do that from my phone anymore. I do that because it's, it's who I am now. I find things, I find reasons. you ever How many of us, when we drive, look straight ahead and down the majority of the time? I would say the majority of us. Now, that means that we're having a bottom-up look at all there is in this life. Think about it. When we drive, when I drive, and I do this more now, when I drive and I begin to look up at the cloud formations, the vastness of the mountain ranges, when you can see mountain ranges, obviously we don't have a whole bunch of them here, but you know what I'm saying, right? When you look at the significance there is out there, and then you think, and I think, this is me now, I think about that the one who created that loved me. And I'm, he loves me so much that he wants the absolute best for me. So my problem begins to dwindle in comparison to the greatness there is I'm seeing in front of me, and I'm breathing as I'm doing this, I'm taking deep breaths as I look at the vastness and the beauty that there is around us, right? And so that's another way for me to regulate my emotions, to be in control of my emotions. And I understand this from studying as well, is that my movements also dictate Can dictate, excuse me, where my emotions go? Like when I told everybody to get up and bounce a little bit, right? Now, if I say anybody in here that have played any type of sport and we're in the huddle and we's like, game time, game time, just saying that for me begins to raise my emotions, raise my state to a higher level, right? And I have control over that. So what I'm telling you is you have control over your emotions. They don't have control over you unless you allow them to. Right? You feel me?
1: Absolutely. I I'm, I'm so I'm fired up, Brian Dawkins, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's all good, bro. I, I, I love
4: it. I love it, baby. I love it. You know, back over here to this gentleman yeah.
1: here. Hey Brian, my name's Colin. Um, it's an honor, obviously. Um, First of all, I just want to thank you for your book also um just wanted to make a quick thing. um I struggled with bed, bed, depression for like five, six years, and um like I found the light and you know once it's you know you see just the, the little bit like the little spark of light like it changes your life so that's one of the main reasons why I was at work and I saw you were here, and I just instantly got the ticket because of the football, but also like my ties with that stuff so um but my question is um, how has the city of brotherly love affected you as a human being, a football player, and a father? And what advice would you have for Ben Simmons right now if you were to speak to him?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. First, 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 let me say this. First, first, let me say this. The light, the light that you're looking for The light that we all are looking for is in us. That's where the light is. The light is already inside of us. Sometimes it's on dimmer. It's on dim mode until it's fed the right words of encouragement, the right thoughts. So what you think on, what we think on and put emotion to, that is what really begins to manifest in our thought life, right? So that's what wakes up that light inside of us. So the light, don't look externally for the light. It's in here already. All right, you feel me when I say that? It's already inside, yes, all right? Now, as far as the other questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm never, and I've never been someone to pile on anybody. I've always been one that likes to help people, right? And so if I had a chance to have a conversation with Ben, it would be between me and Ben, the things that I would tell Ben, the advice that I would give Ben, right? And it wouldn't be from a, uh, it wouldn't be from a hateful place, a hating place, it would be from a loving, caring place. You know, offering advice, all you can do is offer someone. If they take it, they take it, if they don't, they don't. But it would be from a place of love if I did have the chance to talk to them. All right. All right. Back over here.
1: Hi, Brian, thank you for being here again. I really appreciate it. So you touched on earlier that whenever you lose a game, like as a kid, you'd be the kid not to like shake hands or anything, you just pout away. So because of this, and I really hope I'm not being rude by asking this, those, some of those NFC championships and that
2: Super Bowl you lost, because of that past, how did, they, how did you cope with some of those losses in your professional career? And so when, I, when you grow up, you know, and it's not a given just because you get old, you, you, it's not a given that you get wiser as you get older. It's, that's not a given, right? It's like, but when you learn from your past, you're able to do things better. Now I told you after that rookie year, my my level of my vertical relationship became the most important thing in my life. So I was able to handle those things more gracefully going forward because of that relationship. Because I wasn't trying to do it myself anymore. You feel me? So that was the thing that really began to help me in those losses. And then for me, my thing was always, going back to the Ben question, my thing was to always look at me first. What could I have done differently? What did I not do that could have helped us win that ball game? What, 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 it's always me first before I I offer anybody else advice or um, suggest anything for anybody else. I was extremely hard on myself. I was brutally honest what I saw on film. And so these are things that helped me that in those instances that we did lose, and I was extremely embarrassed after we lost every last one of them. I did not want to go out. Like, I literally would not go out of the house a couple of, couple of days, to be honest, if it was up to me, because I hated to lose that much. But I knew that I something I need to learn, and this is the perspective thing I'm talking about again. In those losses, it's things that I need to learn in order for me to be stronger the next time. To be better, and that's what your failures are for. For me, this is me anyway. Nelson Mandela put it like this that I'm never losing. I'm either winning or learning. I'm never losing. So, whatever success, whatever failures happen in your life, they're not permanent. They're just there to teach you something to help you be stronger for the next time you go up to, against any, something similar or something completely different, but you'll be a stronger person because of it. Does that make sense?
1: Yes,
0: sir. Sorry. Thank you.
2: All right.
4: Um, due to time restraints, unfortunately, we have time for one more question. Two more? Two. Yeah, two he's more. He's running the show. Two more questions. We'll do one over here, one over yep. here. I apologize to those of you uh, who, don't, who won't get to uh, ask a question tonight, so we have one here and one more over here.
1: Brian, it's, a, it's an honor to meet you. Um, I just want to go back in your early career on when you recorded your first, like, ever sack against Troy
2: Aikman on the day the Dallas Cowboys. Like, how did that moment feel, and what is your favorite moment as an Eagle on the field? Well, I mean, that was my introduction to the Dallas rivalry, too, so that was like, that was big time. Because, you know, that was, and, and for me, and I, I, listen, I do not say this in a braggadocious way. Dallas was never my rival. Like, my record against me and my, the team, when I was on the team playing against Dallas, my record, Against them was something like 18 and seven or something like that. So, like, that, they weren't my rivals. I'm just being honest. Like, so, so, but back then, they were the, I think they were just coming off the Super Bowl or something like that during that time. So, to sack Troy Aikman and to cause a fumble and then have that be my first sack, my first cause fumble, and then to have Rhett scoop it and score, like, I was, that was one of the moments that I was like, yes, I belong here. I belong here. Not only can I play this game, but I belong on the football field. I can do this thing at a high level. And that, what was the other question you asked? Uh, what was your like, favorite moment as an Eagle on the field? NFC Championship game. Yeah. NFC Championship game. Without question. All right, last question here. Last question.
5: Hey, Brian, how are you doing? Bless.
0: Awesome. Um, what I want to ask about is, how you developed your relationship with God and how that relationship with God has helped you
1: throughout your
2: life. Yeah, so how I developed that relationship is having people in my life, first of all, model it. Like I said, my St. Dawkins, my father, I had people in my life. I didn't know, Um, I I didn't accept Christ into my life until my um, uh, junior, junior year in high school. I knew about him, I knew of him, but I didn't know him, right? It was after that that I accepted him. Now, I didn't begin to walk the walk that I, you see in front of you now though until after I went through that dark place because it was literally either I'm going to do that or I'm going to do the other thing. And the other thing would have had me not play 16 years. It would have had me play one year. My three daughters would not be here, right? So my life would not be here. So that was the, that was the choice that I gave myself. And that's where this relationship came into play. And what it's done for me, it has given me such peace to be able to handle some of the things. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, for the Lord did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. Now, that's one of the, the, the scriptures that I would say to myself literally on the field after I make a mistake. When I feel fear trying to creep up into my heart, I would say, nope, you didn't give me a spirit of fear. You did not give me the spirit of fear. You gave me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. I have a sound mind. I have self-discipline. I have a sound mind. I'm powerful. I'm blessed. I'm powerful and blessed. So you you feel me? So what that did, what that does for me is it takes me off of my heels and puts me back on my toes so that I can go make a play, right? So that's what, that's one of the, another thing that having that ammunition, and I call these this is for anybody now. I call these my fighting words. That's, that's something that I've put into my heart. I memorize for myself. These are fighting words. My fighting words are for those moments in my life that life is punching me in the gut, it's punching me in the face, and it's painful, it's hurting and I don't know where to go, I can quote those. Now, if the quotes don't work, if, I don't, if I'm saying that and it does not work, what I also have is I have four people in my life that I can call. I call them my blessed pack. I can call them at any given moment, and I can ask them to, it would be something simple as this. Matter of fact, I've done this the last four weeks. I did, I did this four weeks ago because I was under some spiritual attacks. I called them up, excuse me, I texted them. I said, pray for your boy. Just pray for it. I didn't give him no details. I just, just pray for me. Each one of them hit me back. Got you. Got you. Got you. Each one of them sent me back scriptures of something for me to look at and think about. There's power in that. There's power in that. So that's that relationship. That's that vertical relationship that I'm talking about. So my vertical relationship is the most important relationship in my life. This one. When this one's when that one's where it needs to be, these will work out. When this one's where it needs to be, mm-hmm. this one will work out, all right? Thank you so much, you.
4: A lot of what you just heard here tonight you can uh, read in the book. The book is called Blessed by the Best, my journey from Canton to Canton and beyond. Uh, if you're not fortunate enough to get a copy tonight, here on campus. Don't forget you can get the book, uh, BrianDawkins.com. 50% of the proceeds from the book will go to his Brian Dawkins Impact Foundation, which I am blessed to be a part of as one of the board of directors. I don't know how he wrote me in it, but I'm happy I'm in it. Um, At this time, I would like to thank the faculty for allowing me to sit here tonight to talk to the Hall of Famer, and more importantly, my friend, uh, Brian Dawkins. And I thank all of you guys for coming out tonight to be a part of this special event. Give it up to the Hall of Famer, Brian Dawson. And of course we would like to thank Voss Water for sponsoring tonight's event. Uh, Thank you once again everybody for coming out. Have a great night. of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Alvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Alvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you.